rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but you have given me an open ear. The Old Testament reading for the Feast of the Circumcision in Name of Jesus is from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from Galatians chapter 3. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the second chapter. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you think that now that we have been baptized and have faith in Christ, that we don't need to follow the law. This is actually a fairly complicated theological question. And we're going to try to break it down today using our reading from Galatians that you heard earlier. And the reason that this is complicated is because the answer is both yes and no. Regarding some of the laws, the answer is actually yes. We don't need to follow those anymore. But regarding other laws, the answer is no. Those laws are still in effect even for Christians. So, let's dive into this and see if we can't figure it out. The first thing that we'll need to do 
is we'll need to talk about the three types of law that you'll find in the Bible, and in particular in the Old Testament we see these. The first, the one that shows up first, and the most important of them all, and, spoiler alert, the one that we still have to follow, is the moral law. That is to say, the laws that tell us what is moral, what is morality. Essentially, the things where God says, this is good and this is evil. That is the first kind of law, and those laws are summarized most easily in the Ten Commandments. All of the Ten Commandments we still need to follow. But there's also other kinds of law in the Old Testament, Probably the other one that we're most familiar with is what we would call the ceremonial law. These are essentially the long laundry list of laws that the Jews had to follow in order to keep themselves clean for worship. And that's kind of really what it comes down to. It's the idea of this purity that they had to have when they came in to do the sacrifices in the temple or anything like that. And those are, in a lot of ways, what we're talking about later today with the circumcision of Jesus. Because having a boy be circumcised eight days after he was born was part of the ceremonial law. Or maybe we could even call it part of the covenantal law, because that obviously started all the way back with Abraham and with the circumcision there. The third and final one, and we're not going to talk too much about this one because this is fairly straightforward, are simply the civil laws. That is to say, the laws regarding the ruling of Judah and Israel. Kind of just the way that the nation organized itself. And, obviously, because that was how Judah and Israel was organized, those laws don't apply to us because we are not living in Judah or Israel. So, But that ceremonial law is the one that people struggle with. That's the one that we kind of wonder, well, why don't we have to get circumcised anymore? What's going on with that? Why is it that a good portion of the New Testament dealt with the apostles struggling against the people who were teaching that you did have to get circumcised in order to be a Christian? Well, part of the reason that that struggle was there was that for a very, very long time, that was how it was. That in order to be saved, in a sense, you had to be circumcised. Or probably a better way to say it, really, is that in order to be saved, you had to become a Jew, and most importantly of all, believe the things that Jews believed. That was how salvation worked back then. They had to believe that the Messiah was coming, and that was a Jewish belief. But when Christ came, that changed. These are the laws that Jesus fulfilled. 
And recognize that when I say that he fulfilled them for us, that means that we no longer have to do them. He ended them for us. And again, that is what Paul is talking about today. Part of the wonderful truth of what our Lord Jesus did when he came to become one of us is that he took us and instead of having our holiness being a part of the law, being something that we had to do this or do that or sacrifice this, make sure that we were clean when we came into the temple, our Lord instead did all of those things for us and then baptized us into them. Another way we can think about this is that because of the truth that Jesus fulfilled every single one of the laws, and Jesus fulfilled all of them. He fulfilled the moral, the ceremonial, and the civil laws. Because he did it, we get credit for him doing it. Because we were baptized in to him. He and us are one. We are all one in Christ. And therefore, because of that, we no longer have to get circumcised to be Christians. We no longer have to do all of the purification rites before we come into church on Sunday. Because of what Jesus did for us, we simply rely on him. We simply trust in him. And admittedly, this is a bit hard. This is part of what Paul was talking about when he said that before you were under the guardianship of the law. So what I mean, or what Paul means, I guess I should say, when he says that, is think of a guardian. The word there is actually a specific type of slave, interestingly enough. And it is specifically kind of the slave who takes care of the master's heir. It's the person who keeps an eye on the heir of the household. And this person is a slave, yes, but they actually have some authority over the heir when they're young. To put it another way, I guess we could say, is they're the ones who make sure that the kid doesn't run around sticking their forks into electrical sockets. Or that he doesn't get kidnapped off the street. Or things like that. That was this guardian's job, and it was this guardian's job to also teach the child. To teach them how they are supposed to live, what they're supposed to do, what their duties and responsibilities are. To teach them, or at least make sure, that they get the skills they need in order to fulfill their duty. That is what Paul uses as a metaphor for the law in the Old Testament. Specifically, again, remember, the ceremonial law. It was a slave. It's not the real authority. It's the thing that teaches people how they were supposed to live so that when the time came that they grew up and they matured, 
that they would know what they're supposed to do. And the reason that we spend time on this is because it's pretty easy to hear what Paul's talking about here and get kind of excited. To get excited and think it's like, oh, I don't have to pay attention to the law anymore. We've been freed from that. But that is clearly not the case. We see in the Bible, in the New Testament, Jesus himself will often expound on the laws and, in fact, will often expand the law. The law says that if you murder someone, that's a sin. Jesus came along and said, if you even get angry at someone, that's murdering them in your heart, and that is a sin. The law says that if you commit adultery, that's a sin. Jesus comes along and says, if you even look at a person with desire in your heart, you are lusting after them, and that is a sin. And that's just Jesus, of course. Paul himself will often go on on long lists of things that are unlawful. And all of this is to say that while we are freed from the ceremonial laws, we are not freed from the moral law. And of course, we recognize the truth that we fail in fulfilling the moral law. We fail in fulfilling the most important of them all. We do not love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. We certainly don't love our neighbors as ourselves. We don't do it right. Which is why Jesus came and why Jesus died. In order to ensure that, again, the law was fulfilled in him and that we get credit for his good deeds, and that we get forgiven for our sin. Now make no mistake, we are free now. We have really astounding freedom in Christ. But it's not that we are free to do whatever we want. That's kind of what we think of when we think of freedom, right? We think of we are free to do anything that we want to do, even though we recognize that that's not true. Even here in America, the land of freedom, right, there's some things you can't do. You still are not allowed to walk into a bank and force them to give you all of their money. You are not allowed to just randomly start punching guys on the street. We are not actually free, and nor should we be. We should not be free to do those things, because that would be evil. But what we are free to do is we are free to do the right things, not because we have to, not because we have the guardian of the law standing over us, looking over our shoulder and making sure that we do it right, but because we know that it's right. Because we know that our God, our Father in heaven, wants us to do it. You are free 
from the burden of keeping the law in order to be saved. That's not why we do it. You don't do the right thing to save yourself. You don't try to struggle against the evil inside of you because you think that if you lose, you're going to hell. You do it because you know what Jesus did for you. Because you know that he forgives you for this sin. Because you know that you have his credit for what he has done. We are not free to ignore and break the moral law. And we are free to recognize the truth that when we fail at this, when we mess ourselves up or somebody else up with what we do or don't do, that again, you have the credit for what Christ has done. You are forgiven. You are saved. You are saved by grace because of Jesus' fulfillment of the law part of which we saw today, when he was circumcised, so that you wouldn't have to be. In the same way, he died on the cross and suffered the wrath of God, so that you wouldn't have to. This is the wonderful freedom that we live in. That we are free to love God and love our neighbor, not because we have to, but because we want to, because we get to. This is the truth of Christian freedom. Now, all of that being said, I do want to take just a minute, and I am going to try and make it a fairly short minute, we'll see, to talk about verse 28 here, because I think it's important. I'm going to read it again for you. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The reason that I bring this up is because this is one of those Bible verses that is often taken and twisted to talk about things that it's not actually talking about. Hopefully you can see that it would be very easy to twist this Bible verse to maybe start talking about something about immigration could even get it to start talking about slavery, even sexism, right? But I'd like to talk just a little bit today about the most controversial way to twist it in today's world, and that's transgenderism. Hopefully you can see how easy it would be to twist this. If there is no male or female, then it's fine, right? If a man decides to say he's a woman, or if a woman decides to say that she's a man, according to what this Bible verse says, shouldn't be a problem, right? But of course, that's not what Paul is saying at all, and that's fairly obvious if you read it in context and you see what he's saying. The point of what Paul is saying is that regarding salvation, Regarding faith, regarding how God looks at you, he does not see whether you are a Jew or a Greek. He does not see whether you are a slave or a freeman. He does not see whether you are a male or a female. 
regarding salvation, when he looks at you, all that he sees is his son. That's what it means that we are all in Christ and are all one in Christ. That nothing else matters for your salvation aside from whether or not you believe. There is nothing regarding salvation that makes one person more or less important than another. In Christ, we have all been saved. In Christ, we are all one. We are all equal before Christ, as far as our salvation goes. That's what Paul is trying to teach us here. Just to very briefly deal with some of the issues of the transgender philosophy, the biggest issue actually comes down to that it's simply wrong. That they are trying to reject the truth, reject reality, and probably most important of all, they're trying to reject who God has made them to be. And that's not even to deal with all of the numerous health issues and a lot of the coercion that's going on there. But, all of that being said, recognize this most important truth as well. That God loves those who are struggling with transgenderism just as much as he loves anyone else. I meant it when I said that when God looks at a person, nothing else matters aside from faith. If they believe, that's what matters. Christ died for those who are struggling with their body. And that's talking about whether they're struggling with transgenderism or whether they're struggling with obesity or all of the other many and various struggles that we have. If you are struggling with these things, any of these things, you don't have to try and deny the truth of who God made you to be in order to be content. Again, there is great freedom in being a Christian. Freedom and knowing that even if you don't feel right, even if you don't like the way that you look, even if you aren't the way that you want to be, that God still loves you no matter what. That Jesus died on the cross for you. You are free to recognize the truth that no matter how far you've gone, that Christ still loves you, that Christ still died for you. And that when you trust in him, you are saved. And therefore, you are free to repent, to receive the forgiveness that is yours, to recognize the truth that God loves you enough to die for you. And that when you believe that truth, on the last day, you will stand before your Lord and you will be declared righteous. Not because of what you did or didn't do. Not because of who you think you are or what you think you are. But because Jesus died on the cross for you.
because he earned forgiveness for you. And you are free to live your life in that truth, even now. Now may the peace which passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.